You're now rocking with the Mainline Podcast, your source for entertainment, culture, travel, sports, and entrepreneurship. And now your host, me, Maine. What up, world? It's your boy, Maine, with another edition of the uh, Mainline Podcast. I got a couple of my nearest and dearest friends. I stole that from Joe Budden, but uh, a couple of my partners, man, from all around the world, the Winter Circle group chat, Chocolate City, man, all the above. I got my boy... Breed up in uh, K-Town, Germany. I got my boy Snowman in D.C. And lastly, I got my boy Cash right now in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So we just want to, the topic of everything this week is going to be black in America. Being a black man, black woman in America. Just want to see the plights, different plights that people go through. What's going on in the world. And and basically, how are you feeling? How's everybody feeling? So without further ado, man, welcome the squad to the chat, man. What up, y'all? What up? What up? What up? What's going on? What's going on? Ain't nothing to it. Hey, what's shaking? <clears throat> Ain't nothing to it, man. So everything, a lot of things going on in the world, fellas, and I think the world is kind of taking a look and seeing what's going on and, and trying to see what they can do better. But I don't think they understand what it's like to be a black man in America. So I just wanted to pick y'all's brain and see what y'all been through and, and share with the world if you're comfortable with it. Safe place safe space if um to let the world know what's going on and how are you guys feeling i know for me man starting off it's important to address the situation a lot of people like to turn a blind eye to it but that boom day is over bro they gotta address the situation they gotta talk about it have those tough conversations what's the blind eye what you mean a blind eye so like just trying to ignore it like oh okay you see it but we're not going to address it. We're going to act like business as usual. Mm. Mm. So it's like, okay, yeah, we all see it on the news. All right, well, keep on doing this work. Hey, no, partner, like, somebody going to say something. True. Is that going on in your workplace? Is that, have you noticed noticed that? For the first, I'll say for like the first week or so, everybody was just going on like it was, everything was just normal. Mm. But um, you can tell, like especially like with social media and stuff, your different friends, different circles, people wasn't okay, man. And so, like you'll see them in the workplace, and they'll they'll seem like they everything all right, but deep down, they not. They bothered. They angry. They frustrated. Mm. And if people in leadership positions don't address that, man, people can have a like a breakdown, or can you know things can boil over. So I- that's why. So, like, man, you got to have this tough, tough conversation. And those people in leadership positions, I mean, I know in your profession, being in law enforcement, a lot of times persons of color are not in those positions to lead. I know, and I know you're in that mid, mid-level mid um, executive role in a law enforcement agency. Uh, so how are you using your, your position of power to try to motivate the others and, and be that leader that they need at this time? Uh, so I think my biggest connection with them on that piece was is like they're not alone. Like I'm pissed off, I'm frustrated too, but we in this fight together, man, to address these issues. Let people know, like we live in a two different worlds. Yes. Pretty much, yeah, for sure, for sure. We live in the two different worlds, man. Some people is just oblivious to it. Is that culture, you think? Feel free, y'all, Bree and Snowman, y'all can chime in, too. I know I'm directing these questions to, to Cash right now, but uh, 
Y'all think it's so, like culture is you think it's so, people not growing up with those type of backgrounds to understand everybody's plight right now? I definitely think it's a cultural thing. Like some of my white coworkers that I talk to, uh, they just don't understand. And, uh, you know, I, I tell them the first time I got stopped by the police officer, I was eight years old. I was riding my bike through the neighborhood. Police officer stopped me on my bike, asked me, did I know anything about any drugs around the, the area? Right. <laughs> that's wild. Eight. So, so when I tell that story, you know, some of my white coworkers say, oh, you know, that's normal. They just they're just trying to get information, you know, blase, blase. But that's totally illegal. Right. You can't question an eight year old without his parents present. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. being an eight year old at the time on my bike, I didn't know that. You know what I'm saying? I stopped on my bike. I'm kind of frozen because I'm looking at this police officer. But as an adult, I'm like, damn, that was totally illegal. But you know what I'm saying? That and he knew it was illegal. You know what I'm saying? You had to know it's illegal to stop an eight-year-old kid and ask him about, you know what I'm saying, any kind of crimes or anything like that. Question him about a crime or did he see anything, right? That yeah. and but that's the tactics that uh, a lot of these police officers are using. They're doing the illegal stuff. And I had a conversation with uh, somebody the other day. And it's like, uh, you know, you see it on the news right now during the protest. People are still using that knee on the neck uh, move, all that stuff with some of these protesters. So it's like, man, like they don't fear like reprisal. And uh, I feel like they're not like a lot of the the law enforcement in the civilian uh, sector. They're not held to a, a higher standard. You know what I'm saying? It's like they can get away with whatever they want because they know like they're in cahoots with the DA, the judges, all those people like have their backs. Mm. But it's, I, I think the training that, uh, and I was talking to one of my other partners uh, the other day, correct me if I'm wrong, Cash, but the training that you guys go through is the same pretty much across the world. It's just, like you said, snow is uh, held to a different standard. So where's the disconnect going? Uh, is it an ego trip that you think the police officers are feeling right now? They get all that power can get to you, go to your head. So do you think they're, they're having that power trip saying, all right, forget all the training that I learned. I'm just going to tackle this dude how I see fit. Yeah. I mean, I didn't watch so many videos in the past week. And seeing videos in the past, it's like some people don't know how to handle certain situations. Mm-hmm. They haven't been in, you know, those confrontations to where they're able to use the proper training. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never been taught to put my knee on my neck with stuff like that. We always told us, like, once they're in your custody, man, they're your responsibility. Yeah. But as you can see, man, it's like, like Snow said, they don't care about reprisal. Like, they had all types of cameras on them and, like, doing shit in broad daylight. And it's like, people don't care, dude. <laughs> wow. People don't care. See, that's the thing that gets me, too, man, when it happens, broad daylight, on camera, yet... It took for the world to see the video for them to even attempt to make an arrest. And I think they just locked up the, like, the last three dudes that was helping them out. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they arrested the, the other three cops, man. But if you like digging deeper into the, the whole situation, two of the cops, they said, were on the job for less than two weeks. With the one who had the knee on his neck, he was supposed to be uh, a trainer. And the, the Asian guy who was standing guard, he's had uh, several complaints about police brutality in the past, right? So these guys, I think the the Chauvin guy, I think they said he had like 17 complaints throughout his career or something like that. Insane. And and as well as I think they said he had a officer involved shooting. I don't know if he like killed somebody or if he just shot somebody. But, you know, these are the type of things where, you know, people turn a blind eye to. And I don't, I'm not sure if it's because, you know, police uh, in the civilian sector are unionized. Right. Sure. So, 
You know, yeah. like these guys can uh, unionize and strike and all that stuff. So I don't know if like counties and the powers that be fear, like if they go after one of their own, the union to unionize and strike and then it'll be anarchy or like what kind of stuff is it that they don't want to charge police when it's blatant, clear on camera and everything like that. Like, I know, like, in the military, you know, you have the law of armed conflict, you know what I'm saying, and uh, the code of conduct, right? So the police officers always use, well, I fear for my life, right? That's their that's their number one go-to whenever they have an involved shooting where they hurt somebody, they kill somebody. I fear facts, for my facts, life. I fear facts. for my life, right? So in the jury's eyes, like, well, if you fear for your life, then you're able to, you know, defend yourself, right? But you know, in the military, like, you can be in Afghanistan walking through a, a village and see... 10 villagers with AK-47s, right? Mm-hmm. And that would make anybody scared, right? Because you don't know if they're good guys or bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. At any moment, they can turn that weapon on you. But you can't just shoot them because you're scared. You know what I'm saying? It has to be an active threat on your life. Exactly. You know what I'm right. saying? They have, to, they have to point the gun at you or, you know what I'm saying, fire around at you. So I don't get how the police officers are always getting off with unarmed folks especially, right? unarmed folks especially because they fear for their life like if you are that fearful that you Get fear someone fucking job. <laughs> that you that, that you fear someone that's unarmed then you're in the wrong profession you shouldn't be a police officer and if you can't like you have to have a certain level of of patience right because you can't just jump off the off the roof and go from zero to 100 because you feel you just feel that way you know what i'm saying like you're a public servant you know what i'm saying so I don't know like what the training is, so I can't speak on it. But you you can see like it's uh it's almost like a gang because if you look at uh it's definitely you a like gang. The, <laughs> boys if you and if you <laughs> if you guys have if you guys have heard like the audio from uh like the NYPD where oh, the, the, the radio the, you remember the radio scanner where the yeah. guy was like hey it's a bunch of protesters blocking um the streets blase blase and then it was like two or three officers that chimed in over the radio. One was like, mm-hmm. run their asses over. The other one was like, shoot those fuckers. And the other one was like, don't put that over the air. You yeah, know what I'm saying? try to cover the shit up. Try to cover it up. So you can see just off of that one video, the thoughts between like the different officers. You know what I'm saying? So, and I, I don't know, like it, it's just like, a, I feel like it's like a gang and they protect their own. Exactly. Exactly. Breed, um, I know you're from uh, Martinsville, Danville, that area, Virginia, mm-hmm. deep south, deep, deep south. How was that growing up? And Because I feel like, I know when I met you, you felt like it was kind of like in its own little time bubble. So mm-hmm. how was that uh, growing up and just how things changed? Do you think anything has changed from then and now in just to your town? Because I think people need to understand that... Uh, there's certain towns and cities, like I know in Texas, you don't go through Vider, Texas. Everybody know Vider, Texas. You don't even stop. You don't get gas. My mom used to tell me, hey, you don't get gas. You don't even roll down your window. You just keep it moving. So mm-hmm. uh, talk to me about how, how you think times in small towns, because I know you're from a smaller town. Uh, yeah. How do you think things have changed? Or are they still stuck in that time, that time vacuum? Man, let me tell you, since the last time I've been home was like 2014, and that shit's for a reason. Like you said, it's a small town. Uh, pretty much everybody knows everybody. And it's like a small country town at that. So you have one section that's Southern white folks. And then you have another section that's Southern black folks. Day to day, we all have to enter town and intermix with each other. So we have those Southern hospitality vibes. But you can always tell that it's like a hierarchy there. Like there's always 
that I ain't gonna say good old boy system, but it's always that faction like, okay, we are here and you guys are here underneath us. I mean, and like growing up, I felt like the way I approach people, the way I talk to people was always in a form of, I'm not a threat. And I don't know if that's something that I learned or if there's something that over the years I've just like maintained because me being in, uh, like I work in the hospital as an admin professional for the uh, military. So I want to say like that same vernacular has stayed with me. So I'm always nice, you know, I'm always keeping it cordial with everybody, not trying to like either step on nobody's toes or press anybody's well, why button. Is that? Why, why are you not trying to step on toes? Like, were you taught that? Is that taught to you guys to always walk on eggshells around people? I don't think it's taught. I think it's something that's, it might be something that's not necessarily learned. It was like, a, let's say it's an instinct. I could put it as an instinct. I don't want to start no trouble with nobody just because I don't know how that somebody on the other end is going to react. But I think that's a dangerous game you're playing, though, Bree Love. It is. It is. That's people. Some sometimes people take that as disadvantage, man. They definitely. You know, you know everybody know Bree the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think I think it's a southern thing, though, man. Like I think when you like raised in the south. You're raised to yes, ma'am, yes, sir. You're yeah. raised. You're raised to like respect. Like I, I don't know how to explain it. I think it's just a, a southern thing because, like, I was born in, in New York, but I was raised mostly in North Carolina. And it wasn't until I got to North Carolina when I, I was like the yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, sir, to exactly. everybody <laughs> and, and all that stuff. Right in New York, it was just like yeah, yes, you know what I'm saying. But in the <laughs> South, it was yes, ma'am, yes, sir. I think it's just something that's ingrained in the South. And I don't know, like, if it came from, like, the slavery days or, like, what? You don't, you know what I'm saying? You don't want to push people buttons. That's why I think they say it's, like, Southern hospitality. It's just, like, you're raised down there to just kind of be, like, very, very respectful. Oh, no, and, like, a... not walk on, not walk on, uh, I mean, not step on people's toes. But, yeah, but in, New York, know, in New York, it was, was totally what different, I was though. Saying, what I was uh, saying was, like, oh, no, I get the respect part, like, far as yes, man. Uh, I mean, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, stuff like that. But as far as like trying, trying not to step on the right toes, hey, man, somebody come across you wrong, yeah, you better check that. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You stand, you stand firm. Well, I know some people who they'll just let stuff slide. Yeah. Like, nah, nah, bro, nah. you can't let nobody just walk over you or talk to you in a certain type of way, regardless of your position and whatever organization you in. It's like, hey, look, at the end of the day, I'm a man first. Exactly. Hundred so, percent. Yeah, you're going to have to uh, come correct. Exactly. 100%. Hey, hey, Snowman, a lot of people, I, I'm going to say a lot of people of other races, they always throw the, the they quit, quit to throw the, the household makes the individual. That's why household, the, the individual is becoming aggressive or because they have a lack of a, a, a parental figure. Now, I know you come from a, a background where, you know, with your parents, that's a, a I'm not going to get into that story, but, you know, with your life, very difficult life, but guess what? I mean, look at you now. You know what I'm saying? You didn't go through those those trials and tribulations. So is that an appropriate excuse to have for them to give us? I don't think it's an appropriate excuse. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that, that's just me personally, right? I think it's just it's just playing on a on a, a stereotype, right? Mm -hmm. So uh to give a little background on what Maine is talking about, I grew up from the age of ten on without both my parents. My, my my dad passed away when I was one. 
Uh, so I didn't really have any kind of uh, memories of him. And then my mom passed away when I was 10. So uh, pretty much uh, from 10 years old to adulthood, it was just me, my older brother, and my younger brother. So I was raised by my older brother, who at the time when my mom passed away was 18. So you can just imagine it was like a kid raising a kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And not only just me, my younger brother too. So like if anybody had an excuse, it probably would be me. You know what I'm saying? Because I was raised by not even somebody who was an adult yet. You know what I'm saying? But I just think it, it's a mentality. And it was one thing. And I mean, it, it could be different for others. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody has has that one thing, right? Because before my mom passed away, I was I was a bad kid. Like, I was skipping school in the third grade. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Smoking. I was doing crazy stuff. You know what I'm saying? But still it was, bad. I'm, <laughs> but, it, but 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 bro, listen, I'm I'm telling you, I, I you a I'm wild telling, boy. I'm telling you, man, I I was wild as a kid, man. But I think that's why I'm so calm now because I got all that stuff out the way early. I didn't have to like yeah. rebel as a teenager like most people do. Right. But it, I think it was just a conversation that uh stuck with me as I got older. You know what I'm saying with my mom and just realizing the stuff that my mom was going through with her health issues that it was like, damn. You know, she knew she wasn't going to be here to see me make it to adulthood. So everything that she was telling me as a kid, it was to prepare me for that. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I was having conversations about sex at six years old, you know what I'm saying? And and just different things about life that I didn't understand at the time, but I, I started understanding it when I was older. Mm. But, you know, to, to circle back to what you're saying, I think it's a choice, right? Because I could have just said, F the world, man, you know what I'm saying? I don't have my mom, I don't have my dad. And I said that to myself quite a few times just for uh like some of the raw deals that i had and you know i was this close to like being a savage in the streets man but you know i couldn't do it because of the legacy of my mom you know what i'm saying like i I just wanted to make sure that that she would be proud of me i would be a man that she would be proud of so i mean different people have different circumstances so i'm not gonna say i I mean i'll backtrack on saying it's not an excuse because people you can't tell somebody how to react to certain situations right It, it, it takes uh people's mental makeup to make sure that, you know what I'm saying, they can get through things and people cope with things differently. So I apologize for saying that, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it all well could be an excuse because everybody's not the same. Mm-hmm. Especially like the situations um, that they encounter, you know, throughout their life. So like some people just think they got their back up against the wall. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some cases it is the way the, way the system is set up for us. So, I mean... It's a it's a it's a tough game, man. It's like it's so many layers to it, so many. For sure, y'all y'all all have been around the world. You know, I met I met Cash in Korea. You know, Snowman in Germany, or Barcelona. Who knows? One of one of them cities out there. Uh, you know, me and Bree been all around the world together. How is it being a black man in different countries? I mean, I have my own take, but I just want to see how y'all feel, man. Man, being my a black opinion, man in Germany is great. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, my opinion, man, being being overseas, like, uh, I, I think it's being a black man from America. I'm not going to say a black man, period, because they treat Africans like, uh, like yeah, trash right. over there. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So being being American and black, I believe that uh, it's a little bit better being overseas, man. I think it's because uh, the Europeans embrace, like, the hip-hop culture. They love everything black American, I should say. And they, they're just very receptive, man. Like like you said, being over in Germany, I, I think I was gone from Germany for like a year. Mm-hmm. And you can ask Bree Love, uh, you know what I'm saying? When I went back to visit after being gone for a year, 
I stepped into places that, you know, I hadn't seen people in forever. And it was like I never left. Yeah. And they they were still showing love like I never left. I I walked into the little donor restaurant down in Germany. And they were like, oh, my God, buddy, buddy, blase, blase. Oh man! And before, before, hey, before I could, before I could even order my food, they already knew what I wanted. You know what I'm saying? I had been gone a year. You know what I'm saying? I walk into a hookah bar, and before I could order a drink, they had the drink that I would always order already prepared. So, you know what I'm saying? You don't get that over here. You know what I'm saying? So, I just think over there they show a little bit more love, man. They appreciate you a little bit more than they do here in the states. Yeah, even when we went to that trip to Barcelona, like never stepped foot in that country before. But as soon as we, like, touched down, I felt like it was love. Think about London, man. Like, think about when we hit the st- when we hit the stage in London and all that stuff. How much love did they show us, man? You would have you thought shout, we was an actual, London, like, man. singing group, man. <laughs> Chocolate City, baby. <laughs> yeah, man. Like that. I'm, I mean, people with their cell phones in the crowd, like, yeah, going crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All from a karaoke bar. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, I definitely feel you, man. I, I I definitely feel the love over here in Europe, UK. It's just a different vibe. Like, that's why, you know, me and my girl, we we decided, hey, you know, we're going to move back to the Netherlands or probably somewhere to settle down and, and for this thing called life just because I felt more at peace. I'm not in a rush. I think America is just a little go, go, go. And I just felt like in these times, and I and I'm sure it'll get better. I'm, I have faith that, you know, it'll get better, but uh, I just want my peace and my peace of mind is, has never been more clear than the, uh, the last four years I've been over here. So I definitely agree with y'all on that, man. It's, it's, it's wild times, man. It's definitely wild time, but I'm glad that they having a conversation at least. But are they going to listen? I mean, they listening, but are they, you know, are they hearing? Are they you hearing? Know, it? Are you comprehending? Mm-hmm. It's two different things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know, like, man, just uh, personally speaking, man, I know having those conversations in the past week or so, a lot of emotions came out. So the people that was, you know, privileged to be in those rooms and having those conversations who wasn't, you know, aware before, they definitely got a different perspective now from the people that uh, they work alongside with and stuff like that. So I think that's important, like, having those conversations with with your coworkers, and honest, you know, not everybody's gonna have emotions, though. Yeah, not everybody gonna have you know have those emotions behind their words, but if somehow they do, it's definitely gonna bring like a different, bring a different light to the whole ordeal. Just personally speaking, but yeah, and, and then, with those conversations, you, and then Snow had uh, I might, I mean, cut you off, Bree, but like I know Snow, okay. he had mentioned like you said they treat uh, Africans differently different parts of the world yeah that's true as hell they kind of deal with the same stuff we going with just because you know their skin tone and i think that's that's a, some of the same battles that we fighting yeah definitely y'all know i, I know mean. they deal with it yeah they deal with it in england they uh I deal with it in uh france so it's like just different parts like that sure. i don't think i'm going back to france ain't nothing over there for me boy <laughs> <laughs> they fooled as nasty. I ain't like that. Though. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't a fran, fan of, uh, of yeah, France. Nah, they got bro, some good bread though. That bread was a one. I ain't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah y'all I think I was eating the whole trip. <laughs> hey, the pastries was was fire, man. But I, I can't lie, man. I, I I thought Paris was dope just for the history, man. But other than that, nah. Yeah, I was like, all right, well, this is it. 
I was I was talking to this young airman man. I was trying to get her her plight uh, her her what's the word I'm looking. I can't even think of the word right now. Her opinion. There we go. Uh, she was from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, hey, chill out, bro. <laughs> but uh, she was from Chicago, and I was asking. I was like, hey man, you know the first thing people say from other races, you know, black need to stop killing black folks, and they bring up look at Chicago, look at Chicago. So I asked her straight up, like like what's 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 up with Chicago, and uh. She said, you know, it's, it's kids it with situations. I get it. And I was like, well, what can we do to help? And she was like, people just need to see the world. Do y'all think vastly seeing the world has made y'all's, uh, have changed y'all's perspective on not only just life, but do you think that'll help a young young kid uh, understand that it's more to life than just old block or whatever, you know, street chief keeps <laughs> 400%. I was having that conversation with somebody before. I was like, bro, like people gotta get out their cities, out this country. Mm-hmm. But some people got rap sheets and they can't get no passport. True. You think that's a convenience thing, or is that the way the system was set up? It's definitely the system. Oh, it's definitely mm-hmm. the system, but you can still I think we we limit ourselves too. I didn't get my passport till I, I was 28, 29. You can still go to Puerto Rico. You can still go to, to uh, I don't even know if you can go to Jamaica, but the U.S. Virgin Islands, there's little places you can go. I just think they need to get out of their city, like you said, man. But, but I, I think honestly, it, bro, it's a lot of young black folks that's traveling like a mug. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah these days. Now, now, yeah, yeah. But our, our, generation, our generation wasn't like that, man. Like, I feel like uh, we have like a small mind, uh, a small town mentality sometimes, right? Even if you're from a big city, right? You 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 don't want to step outside your comfort zone. You stay in your city or you stay in your region. Like I know with me uh, growing up in Charlotte, you know everybody's family vacation was to either Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach. or Atlanta. <laughs> Myrtle Beach or Atlanta, right? That was your family vacation like every year. Yep. And then when you got to adulthood, to where you could go on your own. Well, you got Vegas. a little risky. Going you get, you know, nah, we're going to Miami, right? Yeah. Most, most people didn't leave the East Coast, right? You're going to Miami. And then if once you got to like adult adulthood, you might take a cruise to Jamaica. You know what I'm saying? But I think that's just a uh, small time uh, like thinking. And I think it I think it stems from uh, people just aren't educated on like a lot of stuff that's yeah, out here in the world. I would say to add on to that snow, you said educated. I think they see what they see on TV. 100%. Like, they don't really know. Like, once you get, like, boots on ground, then you can actually see, like, oh, man, this this really ain't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, I, I would never, I would never thought I would end up in Cambodia. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I didn't even know you went to Cambodia. <laughs> I went to Cambodia. Yeah, I didn't know bro. either. That's why. I didn't know either. That's why. But, yeah, but yeah like, the, uh, I, like you said, man, I think it's just an education thing, man. And it's crazy because, you know, with me living in Germany for two years, you get the whole different perspective on World War II, right? Oh, yeah. They, they, everything that they preach to us uh, about World War II and classes here and everything. Wrong. You be like, you, you like, <laughs> like, you scared. You scared to go to Germany. Like, man, they hate black people. They don't like us. Hitler this, Hitler that. You know what I'm saying? Everything that they teach you. And then when you get over there and you start talking to these folks whose grandparents were like Nazis and things like that, you get a different perspective. You find out like, man, it was basically like, Either you're gonna get down or you're gonna lay down, right? Exactly. So like they were trapped as well. Like so they were trapped. Like their grandparents had to do that, or they was their whole family would be slaughtered. And you know, one of the craziest things that like ever happened to me over there was uh there was a young lady who uh she invited me to to her, her grandmother's house, right? And uh, I went over to her grandmother's house with her 
And, uh, you know, she didn't tell me, like, the, the full story. But when I walked in, the grandmother had, like, a picture of her husband who was, like, an SS officer, like, on the damn uh, mantle. And she had a picture of Hitler up there, right? So I'm like, yo, like, this is getting ready to be some some crazy stuff. <laughs> some get-out shit. <laughs> yeah, some get-out shit. But the grandmother, like, her grandmother was just, like, she had, like, the... She was, like, the sweetest old lady, man. She was trying to get me to, like, drink cognac. She was trying to cook for me and everything. I was just like, man, like, this is not what I thought it would be. Mm. How did eggs taste? I ain't eat. <laughs> oh, you ain't eat? Hey, hey. Hey, bro, I'm a brother. I don't trust nobody cooking, bro. I got to know you. Boy, he heard that damn spoon clicking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I'm Get good. up out of there, boy. I'm good. Hey. Run. Hey, hey but you, you touched on something in there that, that just happened, I guess, maybe like the last 48 hours, uh, Snow. Like, they starting to get rid of uh, Confederate flags and, and, and the monuments. Like, you know, my oh, girlfriend, you know, my girlfriend, German. You know, she'll school me every once in a while. Like, hey, they can't even you. You see a Nazi flag, you done. You can't even lift your hand half above your shoulder. Are you? You done? So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, if you ever been to, to Germany and you see like the the streets, they have like this weird like letter. It looks like a B. Mm-hmm. That was to replace SS, right? Because and I know you know it, mm-hmm. uh, Bree. They can't even like have like words spelled out with like SS. SS on it. They, yeah. have, they have to have to put like that little B looking letter. Thing. They, they created yeah. a they created a whole new letter because of that shit. Wow. So, yeah, it's been done before, but I just don't understand like the the whole Confederate flag thing, right? Everybody's like, oh, it's heritage, it's heritage. No, that's a traitor flag. Mm-hmm. These were people who rebelled against America, the America that you said you love so much. That's why they were called the rebels, mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. That's it's a, it's the equivalent of Nazi flag. It's crazy, yeah. It's crazy. It sounds like some Texas to try to do to get away from the rest of the country. <laughs> 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 no. We are own. We are own country. It's wild down there, but I, I'm 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 glad we don't have that Confederate flag on our, on our state flag because that'd be man, that'd be a tough toughie. Definitely a tough one, but uh. Yeah, I just started reading that. I'm like, man, it's wild because people are so attached, once again, to the flag where we protesting and kneeling to a flag, to an object, to something that's not tangible, not real. You know what I'm saying? They so attached to that joint, and it's it's, it's mind-boggling to me. I'm like, dude, you lost No yourself. correlation. <laughs> NFL is just, try, just backtracking, trying to cover their tracks. I just seen that. Yeah, I just seen that too, man. I, oh, the Drew Brees story, huh? Drew Brees no. and Roger Goodell. He just came Roger out. Goodell, yeah. That statement talking yeah, about we were bad. wrong. We were wrong. Well, my man Cap, my man Cap ain't had a job in four years. <laughs> had a job. Well, he don't even look I at would, football. If I was him, I wouldn't even go back. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's wild. That's wild. These times, these wild times. So y'all y'all seen the article about the young dog? I think it's class of twenty twenty three. Oh, Mickey Williams. Talking about going, yeah, going to uh, HBCU. HBCU. Yeah. yeah, man, that'd be a whole new wave right there, boy. That'll... Think about it, man. If all the actual young black athletes right now was to drop them D one schools and go to HBCUs, I bet they won't have a problem about paying players now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean they they. I mean, like somebody made a good point, right? These white coaches in, in these D1 schools are making generational wealth for their families. Exactly, bro. Uh, young black men. And they will not speak out about it. Mm-hmm. It's a monumental. He's he got to make the decision. Got to. 2023 okay. is a long time away. And if he keep progressing, because the boy can hoop. And, and, <laughs> and if he decide, you know, I'm going straight from high school to the pros, 
that's more than likely what he's going to do because the boy can go. But uh, if he does make that decision, and, you know, I think Tennessee State offered him a, um, a scholarship. I want to say uh, Howard did. Shoot, I hope my alma mater, Prairie View, did. But, um, yeah, if they can, I've always preached that, man, because, Snow, you've been to a, you know, you went to a black school. It's nothing like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's another, it's worldly, bro. It's just like, how do you have this so much, this family? Like, I've never had teachers really try and reach out and try to, hey, you're not getting it, Jermaine. All right, come over here. This is where you're, you're lacking. I don't think I would have that experience in a predominantly white institution. I went to a white school for a semester. I went to UNC Charlotte for a semester after going to uh, Winston-Salem State, which is a HBCU. And I'm telling you, the experiences were completely different, man. Like you said, man, I was going to the class at UNC Charlotte, 200 people. The book that's for the class, the guy that was teaching the class would have uh, written a book. So, of course, he's getting paid because we have to go buy his book for his class. You know what I'm saying? But when I went to HBCU, man, I remember my African-American studies uh, professor, man. This guy was probably one of the smartest guys I ever met. And he inspired me to, like, dig deeper into, like, history and all that stuff. And I ended up making history my minor. And it was uh, a conversation that I had with him. He told me, he just told me, so you should look up the Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I was like, what's that? He was like, go look it up. And when I looked that joint up, I was mm-hmm. like, wow. Like, some of the stuff that, that you see happening, like, the stuff that was happening back then. and like, History repeating itself, eh? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. And if y'all don't know about Black Wall Street, I'm not going to get into it. Y'all go and read it. Tulsa, look it up, baby. Hey, you know, yeah. if you don't follow uh, Black Hawk Story, my 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 cousin Keith's uh, Instagram page, he already got a couple of threads already on it. So, if y'all listening, World Black Our Story on Instagram, look it up for him. He's got the. Man, uh, I learned so much like outside of like school, like what, yeah. like. Why is it Black History Talk? Why why isn't it talk? On my own, yeah, that's definitely man. Definitely learn a lot, but people got to do their do their own uh, research, bro. The schools ain't going to teach you that. At all. It should be one of the core curriculums, though. But, you know, we just now all of a sudden realize Black Lives Matter. So you got to take baby steps, I think. I think, nah, I think it's a, I think it it's a the, fear. It starts with the household, though. It yeah, do. definitely. Definitely starts it with the house. starts with the household, definitely, bro. Definitely. It's like, I mean, because, I mean, I don't know. I can't, I mean, I'm speaking for myself. Like, they didn't tell me I didn't. That's a lot of stuff I didn't learn until like afterwards. Mm-hmm. It was like it was like it was waiting. They a lot of households they bank on the schools to teach you certain things, but like, bro, you can't let that happen. You know, I think this was a good thing that we're growing up in this well, growing up in this millennia right now. That technology is made information readily available, so it was up to us to actually go out there and look for it. Got to. Mm-hmm. It's right on our fingertips, man, and, and not man. being scared. I think uh, a lot of people, uh, sometimes I feel like you're scared to be black. Like, I think we talked about I it in, in our chat, man. It's, you got to be unapologetic. Yeah. He says dangerous and lit. Dangerous and lit at the same time. Yeah, man. I, you can't be scared to be black, man. You got to love and embrace it and just be you, man, and love yourself more. Now, I think you got to love yourself more yeah. than ever. More exactly. than ever. You got to walk around, man, saying like, Fuck what people think, man. Like, I'm me. What's exactly. up? Exactly. Man, listen, y'all, man, we are so powerful as a people, man. Like, I think that I think that's why uh we deal with the the shit that we deal with is because like honestly, like we are the originators of so much, man. And 
if they keep us oppressed, you know what I'm saying, then they're going to be able to control our shit. Like, black men built the world, man. Like, it's just crazy, man. If you, like, research Africa and all the inventions that came from Africa and everything, and how many of the inventions that we have here in America itself was invented by black people, and then a white man took a credit for it, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it, it's just crazy, man. You do your research and you, you'll see why. You'll see why shit happens the way it happens. It's because, you know, we're so powerful that, you know, they can't let us shine. Mm. Yeah, you look at look at the different, like, statues and monuments that people find around the world. Look at the sculptures. Look at the features on the, those faces. Mm-hmm. That's us. Yeah. Okay, okay, Cash. Yeah. That's us. Straight up. Straight up. It's all text. It's, it's, we, read, we wrote the books. We got the, the sciences. We did the maths. We got everything. It's just being confident that we are those people that laid the foundation for the world. You know what I mean? Not being scared for that, man. Not being scared. Shit. So what, what's been your biggest take uh, from this past week, man? It's been a couple of things for me, man. Like, a lot of it is you see a lot of people's true colors, right? Especially on social media. I think that's the one thing that I've been paying attention to a lot. And I don't comment on nobody's posts. I don't get into that political stuff. I just sit mm-hmm. back. And I, watch I see it, though. Exactly. And I see it, right? I see and, it. I, and I know I know who to mess with and who not to mess with now, right? And it's people that I've worked with that I've had, like, a tremendous amount of respect for that have posted stuff on Facebook. And I'm like, where? Like, this is how you feel? Cool. You know what I'm saying? I can't mess with you. So uh, on that aspect, I think social media is, is showing me um, – people who I need to cut off, you know what I'm saying? But not only that, I think uh, the stuff that's going on now, I think it was uh, I think it was necessary, man, and it, it sucks that it, it had to happen like this, but if you look around the world, like I'm here in D.C. right now, and we have a black mayor. She, paint, she painted the Black Lives Matter on the street leading up to the White House, right? Uh, big that, up the major. Like, like that, 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 that's, that's a powerful statement, right? And she had, she had the balls to do it. Like nobody else would have did that. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about how, uh, you know, some of those guys over there in Washington are bullies, right? Or bullying folks, right? And she had the audacity to paint that in the street. So I think it's it's giving people that voice and that that confidence to stand up and, and be strong and say, you know what? I'm not taking it anymore. And I think that's uh, that's something that we, we needed as a people, man. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think this last week has been, it's been uh, like you said, very eye-opening. Very, um, lots of anger, rage. Um, uh, that's what I'm talking about. Like, just, I, have they told you to talk or asked you to talk about it yet? Because I'm at a stage to where I can't even vocalize my actual feelings. So when they say, like, what do you, what's your aspect on this? Or how do you take it? How do you perceive it? I'm at a point where I ain't even got too much to say. Like, I'm ready to see change. I'm ready to see action. Like, granted, the conversations are being had. People are now aware of this is going on, but what are, what are you going to do about it? Like, how are you going to make this type of change? And is the change that you're making, is that going to affect just yourself or is that going to affect the world? We're going to see. We definitely going to see. Encourage people to vote. I hope y'all, y'all, I would encourage, you know, Snowman and Cash to get deputized and, you know, that way you can register people that haven't registered to vote. You know what I mean? Because we need to, Make our voices heard, not only just in the uh, 
the presidency, but at the local level, you know, get these these people that have been riding riding the whole city for the last thirty years. Maybe it's, it's time for some change. You got some need some new blood, some new thoughts, some new ideas. So uh, yeah, get some people to vote. You know, in y'all's little towns, cities, not little town. You know, y'all both in the top ten cities in the, in America, but. We got to start registering our people to vote and getting out there and actually taking them to the polls. You know what I mean? And getting making our voices heard because that's the only way we're going to hit them. The vote. I think the, the the things that we need to hit them with is the vote and financially. If we don't, we start spending money on on their dollars, you know, spending our dollars on on their products and not supporting us, then they still going to win. So buying black. Buying the block back, you know. I know cash. You want to go back to Detroit, and Detroit is prime market right now for real estate. You know what I mean? Let's let's buy that joint back and give it to our people. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's that's. I think right now, man, it's the biggest. It's it's big for the, the black market, man. Um, you see a lot of platforms with black businesses is is sharing each other. Um, you know, information putting it out there. The power of social media is sharing those platforms. That way, people can get get known, get their businesses known. Like I seen, like uh, different cities, like even here, like in Phoenix, you got all people posting the list of all the black businesses yeah. in the local area, Detroit, Atlanta, uh, places like that. Like so, the people can uh, go out and support, man. Major, major key. Yeah, I made a huge effort to start uh, shopping more with black businesses and everything, man. And it's not just like the small businesses either; it's like the big ones, like. I have iPhone, but I don't have Apple Music. I got Title. You know what I'm saying? I, I fuck with Title, and then you know, I like even like little black uh, t-shirt shops that uh, pop up. I'll buy two or three t-shirts. You know what I'm saying? To support things like that, black hair care products, things like that. So, yeah, I've definitely been trying to uh, switch my need, dollar to the black side. I need to find me a black goddamn carrier <laughs> so I can get some more bullets. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, man, I'm, I don't want to keep y'all for the whole day. I know Cash, you got to get ready to go to work and all that jazz. And Snowman, you about to go to the uh, weight room and put some 25s on the dumbbells. Man, so, there uh, ain't no weight room, bro. I got to do it. I got to do it the ghetto style, man. Oh, you mean still. He in the front, you boy's the paint can. <laughs> <laughs> he, got, he got two Culligan water bottles about to... Uh, <laughs> Hey, the grind Make sure stop. you get your four eggs. <laughs> hey, you got four eggs. Hey, four eggs. Hey, you know. Six eggs for them little body dudes. All I need is folks. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but I definitely you y'all having a candid conversation and just being vulnerable to to you how y'all feel. you know, in a black community, you know, in a black community, you know, in a black community, you Letting the world know how y'all feel. Because, you know, this worldwide, you know what I mean? So a lot of people around the world going to be hearing this. And you guys uh, really opened up. So I appreciate y'all, fellas, bro. No doubt, big dog. No doubt. Already. Well, that's uh, another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Like I said, we just wanted to talk about black black men in America. I just wanted to see the the what others, others are going through during these times, these circumstances, and how can we make a difference in and where are we going to go from next? So thank you for tuning in to the Mainline Podcast. We out. Thanks for listening to the Mainline Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to so you don't miss future shows. Follow us on IG and Twitter for updates. Have a great week. And we'll see you next time. We out. <laughs>